0: The following lecture by Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsberg was recorded live and is presented to you free of charge by Gawainai Institute. Your donation will help us to bring an ever-expanding selection of quality audio lectures by Rabbi Ginsberg. Gawainai Institute is a non-profit organization and all donations are tax-deductible in the USA. To donate, just click on the Donate button on the Dimension homepage at www.inner.org www.inner.org or email us at inner and inner org. We have three topics today we're going to talk about. The
1: first is about movement. Movement and dance. All of these topics are clearly directed to, to women. And one Ashka uh, about today, today is the 15th day of, of the month of Sivan, which according to tradition, is the earth site of Yehuda, Judah, the son of... Yaakov had one of the 12 tribes that tribe who is the father of kingdom the kingdom of Israel that King David comes from and Mashiach comes from so Judah is your outside today and Judah representing Malchut kingdom also in Kabbalah represents the woman or the feminine figure in general so it's most appropriate that uh, we gonna now speak three different topics that, uh, that relate to both men and women but for the emphasis obviously is not going to be for women after this session I think that everyone can see this new book or maybe I see a few on the table that you have in this new book on meditation on the Kabbalan meditation at the end there's an appendix which has seven guided meditations Whoever has this book in front of them, you can turn to page 214, and you'll see that the, the basis of, of meditation on movement relates to the candle, to the natural sway back and forth of a candle. And once more, everything is HaPratit so It was m- very much bashkafapati that that this week's parsha here in Chutzalot. they were beginning to read the parasha Baal of Erod, which is lighting the you know, lighting the candles on the place of Me'idash. Lighting the candles is igniting the flame of the soul. And uh, one of the great medieval philosophers, the Kuzari, explains that the reason that Jews naturally sway back and forth when they learn, or when they daven is because the soul is on fire, the soul is aflame as the verse says, Ner Adam that the candle of God is the soul of man and the more the soul is aroused and is experiencing emotion of love and fear and mercy and all the other emotions the more the body naturally sways in Seyfratani which is the classic the classic text of Hasidut so the soul is always aspiring upward to return to its source just that the body is like a wick it says and the wick holds the flame in and doesn't allow the flame to ascend out of the body as explained here in this little piece, when one sways back and forth, from front to back, so it's relatively a male movement or sway, because it's one of giving. As every person, whether you're a man or a woman, a male or a female, has both elements and components, the male side and the female side. The male side is the giving and the female side is more the receiving. Uh, and swaying back and forth, front to back, is relatively a male sway. Whereas swaying to the sides, right to left and left to right, back and forth, which also is normal, and is usually, you know, the, the beautiful thing about about swaying is that it's not conscious. It's not a conscious effort. Meaning that you just the opposite. Uh, here if uh, we're doing now a workshop on movement, so the movement is like a dance. You learn how to dance, or other uh, forms of movement that it's, uh, are very, very conscious. But it's the most natural movement, and a general natural experience of what we call natural consciousness, in general, is just does it by itself. Because it dances, like in Hasidus, you always say that it, it sings. One sings spontaneously, one moves and dances spontaneously that's the ideal the ultimate is that it just happens by itself because it's a natural expression of the soul of the divine soul in man nonetheless it doesn't mean that you can't learn how to uh, dance or how to sing or or how to act these are actually the three topics today of dancing which is movement and singing and drama which is acting in fact if we mention the uh, the most basic uh, image of a candle so it says in Hasidut when you meditate especially women that light the Shabbos candles when you meditate on the candle you should see three different levels of the flame there's the flame which is actually holding on to the wick or the wick actually protects the flame that it doesn't leave and just ascend out of the, of the body turn to its source that's either called the blue flame or the black flame sometimes in the soul. that flame is definitely a flame but that's the flame that's holding on to the matter to the material it's in direct contact with matter then around that black flame or dark blue flame is a white flame an Ahar of Hebrew that's the flame that that gives off, that emits the light, that fills the room with light. But then above that white flame, there's another another element or another dimension to the flame, which is a halo around the white flame, which is called a concealed a concealed flame. Now in Kabbalah, these three levels of the flame are the soul as it is manifesting itself in action, or in emotion, or in mind, in pure cognition or mind. The lower part of the flame, which is the black flame that is holding onto the wick, is the flame in motion. The white part of the flame is just a pure emotion. That motion and emotion obviously related to one another. But just the pure experience of love or one of the other emotions of the heart is represented or reflected in the white flame. But the mental contact or ability to clothe oneself in a certain space or mind set that is represented by the relatively hidden and concealed dimension of the flame, which is that halo above the white. So actually the three topics that we are going to discuss today, now beginning with motion themselves can be seen to correspond to these three levels of of the flame. And that the first, this first workshop that we're now beginning to do is actually the black part of the flame, which is holding on to the wick. The second topic today is song. Song corresponds to the white part of the flame which is such the pure expression of the emotion of the heart song is basically an expression of thought most songs is, will go on to explain and drama which is the ability to enter to consciously create a character and enter or to enclose oneself into a character this is the deepest act of consciousness I'm just now mentioning it by the way I was just alluding to it and that can be seen to correspond to the highest halo level of the flame. So we're keeping this in mind. We'll continue to discuss these in the other uh, in the coming sessions. But right now we're going to go come back now to the emotion. After one has meditated and understood that basically emotion is the soul in motion, as it's in the body. And that's why its natural expression is just the swaying back and forth. And the second most basic motion, and, uh, which can easily be made into a, an actual physical exercise, as you'll be shown after our words, is based upon a vision that the prophet Isaiah has in chapter 6 in Isaiah which is the vision of the fiery angels you know the different prophets had different visions of the divine chariot which are angels that are totally null to the will of God and just performing Hashem's will and Hashem's mission Ezekiel, Yeheskel saw the, the angels which are called the living beings, the chayot each of which possessed four different wings. That's the first chapter of Yechezkel, which is uh, what we read the Haftaran, Chag Shavuot, Matan Torah, last week. But Isaiah, according to Kabbalah, actually saw a higher higher Merkava, a higher chariot. He saw a chariot of fiery angels. And those fiery angels had six wings each, not uh, four wings. Some angels have two wings, some have four, some have six. They, they go in pairs. But the uh, the fiery angels that that uh, Isaiah saw had six wings each. And then it says the verse describes and pictures just exactly how the angels moved with their six wings. In the human body, just to just to begin if one talks about dance so obviously dance is basically based on the on the feet on the axile it's an exercise or emotion which is an emotion of of the one's <coughs> legs basically angels don't move so much with a with the legs even we also read in the Aftarah, we're going to read in here in the Hussarat and the Aftarah, this coming the uh, portion of Baalotcha, that souls walk, are walking and moving with the legs and relative to angels are static, stand still but are stable, but on the other hand angels definitely have wings and they have more wings, wings in the human body as explained in Kabbalah, correspond to the hands so there's motion, the motion of the hands is the motion of the wings, that we'll explain, whereas the dance is more the motion of the legs, of the feet. In the soul, dance, which is the, the motion of the legs, is the two legs are called netzach and hod, which in the soul are an expression of one's trust or confidence, one's self-confidence, and one's simplicity or sincerity is called honentmut as in order to dance, one has that very strong self con- self confidence why it's also good to learn how to dance because it uh, it enhances one's self confidence that 's the right leg together with simplicity and sincerity and and uh, walking straight or simply with God an idiom that appears very very often in the Bible that's the left leg so dance is basically those two properties of the legs whereas motion just in general especially the motion of the angels is primarily one of wings ultimately wings gives one the ability to fly because wings are for flying the heart flies Flies to God. Flies also to perform its mission on Earth. The two wings that fly, as explained throughout the Zohar and the, in the Sefer Atania, are the, the primarily the two basic emotions of love and fear. But sometimes explained, that there are actually is two different forms of love itself. One is love, which is more natural, as water. And the other is love, which is more passionate as fire. But still, as explained in Tanya, the most basic interpretation of the two wings that create the stability necessary for flying and not falling, not collapsing in midair, are the balance between love and awe. Instead of fear, we can use the word awe of God. Now, why do these fiery angels? Why do they possess three pairs of wings? You know, what, how, do, how are they described? and this, this is the most basic one, the most basic uh, exercise of movement after simply experiencing the natural uh, sway of the body in, in uh, clinging to, to God in prayer and study. It says that with two wings, and with the first pair of wings, they cover their face. And then, the second pair of wings, it says they cover their feet, their legs. Once more, the legs don't move with the angels. That's something which is which is particularly pertinent to human beings. The last, the third pair, which is the ultimate pair, that is the pair that flies. So it says, "Vishtaim" is the, uh, the words of the prophet. Panav, with, two, with two wings. Means the first pair of wings, echasepanav, he covers each one of these shra'fim of the fire angels covers their face. Aglav, with two, they cover their feet, and with two, they fly. Now in Kabbalah and this is an exercise or a Kavanah, an intention, a divine intention, which relates to that prayer that if whoever remembers we said during Sfirat HaOmer that every day there was a Kavanah to intend that each day corresponds to one of the letters of the, the name of 42 letters, the divine name through which God created the world, which is read, Anabekoach Gedulati Minchatatir Torah if everyone would have a sidur here it would be helpful but it's also possible that we can just uh, understand this without even having a sidur in front of you. So what actually the structure or the composition of that uh, prayer, the 42 letter name is actually the Rashi Tevot, the initial letters of that prayer and it's divided into seven sentences. Each one of the seven sentences has six words six letters because the name itself is just the initial letter of each one of the words and the way it's divided is two, two and two like the first line and for our purposes just enough maybe just to remember the very first line which is Ana bekoach, tatir There's three pairs of two and so each of these seven have these three pairs of two and the way the Arizal explains is that the first pair of two are actually the two the first pair of the wings of these fiery angels that are covering the face so An Bekoa, the first two letters is the two wings covering the face and then the second pair of letters the Dulati Minhar are the two wings that are covering the feet and then the third pair of letters Tatir Surah are the two wings that are in flight first we'll speak about what it means in flight. In flight either means upward towards God or downward towards performing <coughs> the mission that the angel was said to perform in this world. That reminds us of the verse in Yechezkel and the other prophecy of the Merkabah, the chariot of the angels that the angels are continuously in the state of Ratzol Shov which is also maybe the most important expression in the whole Bible of movement and of movement which is dynamic as pulse back and forth. The most important movement of all is called run and return. But that's an expression that's used regarding the angels of Yaheskil. And here also, in the angels of Isaiah, when it says that with two the last pair of wings, they fly, so they're in two interpretations, and obviously each interpretation is correct in its own right. But the first interpretation is with the last pair of wings, they fly upward to Hashem. And the other interpretation is also correct, and it's just a complementary interpretation, is that with the last pair of wings, they fly downward into the world to perform their mission. How can we uh, create an image, a very simple image, it's like, like a chassidim of a Rebbe, that uh, the Rebbe gives a mission, a shrikhut, you know that the tahta, especially in Chabad, most important purpose of one's, uh, the ultimate purpose of one's being and living on earth is to perform a, a mission on earth On each one of us, each one of our souls was sent out into this world to perform a mission. God used that mission, but if a person is not so conscious and aware of that mission, that's one of the reasons that in these later generations, before the coming of Mashiach, from the time of the Baal Shem on, so that great was the Moshe Rabbeinu of the generation, he helps us define and understand the particular mission that each of us has to serve. But in order to be able to accept and to receive and to perform, to go out into the world or down into the world, in order to perform our mission, so from time to time we have to run back up to the Source to renew our energies. So that's why, in order to perform a mission, a person has to be in a state of run and return, run upward to the Source and then run down to one's purpose in life, one's purpose in creation, which is to perform one's mission on Earth. It's explained in some of the texts, the classic texts of the Kabbalah, that the six wings of these fiery angels is actually the Source. Many people are asked, what is the Source of the Form? which is so so identified with the, as a Jewish form, even though we must mention that the Rebbe didn't want it to become a, like the one and only Jewish symbol, because we are not in this too explicit in one and only symbols, but nonetheless everybody knows that for some reason Bashka Ha'apatid the symbol which is known as the Magen David the Star of David is very, very representative of something uh, deeply Jewish, otherwise it wouldn't be connected to so much to, to the Jewish people. And one of the sources for that uh, six-winged star, it's called the six-winged star, the Magenta Vita that it represents, it's a symbol that represents these five angels that have six wings to them. Now just think of the picture of them, again David with the six wings so the two higher wings, not the one that goes up and there's one that goes down but there are two right and left above and then there are two right and left below the two that are right and left above are the two wings with which the fiery angel covers his face and the two, the right and the left below are the two wings with which the fiery angel covers his feet, his legs and the two that one is directly upward and the other is directly downward are actually the balance of the last pair of wings as we just now explained that either fly upward to God or fly downward into the world in order to perform one's task and mission on Earth. Right. Now, the Maggit of Mezrich, the great disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, and his successor, so he also at length explains the secret in our service of Hashem of these six wings. And as we said before, each pair of wings is like hands. It's as though these angels have six hands. Because we only have two hands. So when we're trying to, to uh, represent the motion of these angels so we have to also with our two hands create six hands with the first two hands we cover our face and then with another pair of two hands which are our wings we cover our feet and with the third pair of two hands we we fly besides the fact that each pair of two hands is a different level that we're not going to explain of love and fear, love and awe which are the two primary emotions of the heart, the hands covering the face with the first pair of two hands is called, as the market explains is called experiencing holy shame in the face of God just as Moses when God first re- revealed Himself to Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush, so He covered His face. Now the shame of witnessing this, because shame is not always a positive character trait. But there is definitely holy shame. And holy shame comes with a certain level of love and awe. That once more the... the Operative or the moving elements the moving limbs are the love and the fear the love and the awe which are the hands just that there is one pair of hands that serves to cover the face which is experiencing shame in the face of God then the second pair of hands which once more a pair of hands is love and fear cover the feet the legs, and that pair is called the pair of tsniut, of modesty. Because as we see in the, in the Tanakh, especially in the book of Michal, is the most important phrase and idiom regarding tsniut. Tsniut is a function of walking of the feet. One Usually, he thinks that sniut is just dressing, how one dresses, modestly. But the verse, the prophet actually says that Tznews is a function of how one walks. That one walks humbly or be to modesty with God. So, those two wings, once more, the wings of love and fear, it's just a certain level of love and fear. There are two wings that cover the feet and if you have the two wings that cover the face which is the holy state of Busha, Busha Hashem and then the two wings that cover the feet which is the holy state of Tzniut, modesty then the climax the epitome is to experience the two wings that fly, then you can fly and the word, if we identify, identify the, the first pair as producing the experience of busha and the second pair of love and fear producing the experience of tsniut, or the state of tsniut, the third pair is a pure expression of chukah. Chukah is passionate, the desire longing this very same word that it says in the beginning of the Torah that they a woman, a wife longs for her husband so the three words these are the three key words of meditation whilst performing this not so complex movement as you'll see afterwards how it's actually done the first pair which is covering the face comes from the pusha. It's so all Ava and yirah. We're not going to explain now. what are these three different levels of Ava, and Yira, love and fear. But the first produces a state of Usha and the third is sniut. The second, the second pair is sniut, and the third is chuka. Right now, what are these three different uh, pairs of love and fear? So we're talking Hasidut that there is that level or state of love and fear that one produces through contemplation and meditation and that love and fear is love and fear that are, are born emotions that are born in the heart because meditation the image for meditation is creating a union in the mind of the father principle which is wisdom together with the mother principle which is understanding and they give birth to emotions, to new emotions not innate emotions As one actually in himself becomes pregnant through his own spiritual service of meditation becomes pregnant with emotion and gives birth to emotion in his heart that type of emotion is called Aaba that throughout all of the Sifrik quotas, even beginning from the Rambam, say Maimonides, when he explains at the beginning of his work that in order to to achieve and perform the commandments of loving God and fearing God, one has to meditate on the greatness of the Creator. So he's talking about this level of love and fear. That through meditation, through contemplating even the nature itself, the wonders of nature, the greatness of how the Creator God is reflected in the world that He created, for his honor and glory if one comes if one is sincere and deep enough and puts enough spiritual effort into his meditation one will come to love and to stand in awe of the creator there is another type of love and fear which are innate to the Jewish soul as explained in Tanya just because we are fortunate enough to have been born to Jewish parents all the way back to Abraham Abraham and Yitzchak, Abraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov and we inherit love and fear of God it's natural for us it's not always conscious very often it's not conscious at all deep down in our being as though we possess these genes of loving God and standing in awe of God also there are, ma- there are ways of spiritual service that bring it out that reveal it from its state of concealment very often the Hasirut says that you don't need deep in-depth meditation you just need something else this is called zikhon just to remember there's a certain spark sparking of of the soul that you remember that you're a Jew you remember that uh, that you have we have these three patriarchs and four matriarchs if one properly remembers it and it becomes aroused it's not called meditation it's called memory then there is a third type of emotion of love and fear, which is neither of these two. And this is taught in the Seferat Tanya, in the fourth part which is called Igeret HaKodesh, on the verse which reads, verse also from Memichah, that reads, Titen Emethe called gives truth to Jacob. There the author of the Tani, explains what does it mean to give truth why does the Prophet say give truth to Jacob? Jacob isn't true by himself in his own right He's not true, he has to be given truth so he explains that any emotion which is man-made or even man-inherited is limited in nature and because it's limited in nature, it's finite in nature. It's not absolutely true. Because truth is something which never ceases. To be true is to be eternal. Is to be infinite. And if something oscillates, it's not absolutely true. So therefore, the prophet says, as though he prayed, he prayed to God, "Give truth." to my emotions which means that when a person has created himself in his own psyche and his own soul the most that he can achieve through his own service of God loving God and fearing God then he's given a gift from above something that he cannot achieve <coughs> at all he's given divine emotion as though God's own emotions which are eternal and infinite emotions enclose themselves or appear in his soul and that's called, that's the way explains, that's called giving truth to Jacob that Jacob represents the third, in particularly the third of the emotions of the heart he's the third of the patriarchs which is mercy in a certain sense mercy is the compassion is the all-inclusive emotion of all the emotions and nonetheless in his own right that mercy is not absolutely true But just because he has done as much as he can possibly do so he is given the stamp, it's called the stamp of the seal of truth from above that God gives him infinite and true emotion that God-given emotion which is called true, that the emotion become true, 100% true. That's the ability to fly. It's just like we to meditate. Maybe if you, uh, people dream that they fly, but we haven't yet seen too many people flying, actually. And that's uh, probably because our emotions are not so absolute and infinite and God-given that we just actually can fly but to fly that shukha, that passion which is so great and so intense that one can actually fly doesn't mean actually that you really have to see the person flying in the sky but flying to perform one's mission on earth and flying upward to God in truth that's the third pair of wings. This comes after one has revealed in himself the first pair. Now, what's not to explain? That first pair of wings, which covers the face and produces a state of shame, of holy shame, that is the love and the fear which is mind-born. That's why those two wings naturally go to the face. The face, what's in the face, the mind. You know that those two levels is also the secret of the tilakya daim lifting up one's hands to the face, as explained in Kabbalat Hasidut That that emotion that has been born from the mind then ascends to the mind, ascends to the face, and covers the face, and produces once more sort of the state as, uh, we said before. What is the simplest example of that of such, a, of such love and awe? It's meditating on the greatness, like seeing God in nature. Seeing God in the world. Just like Moses seeing God in the burning bush. Something has happened, some tremendous hashka As though God has revealed Himself to me. But Sometimes it can be just His own revelation to me. It is something, as the Raman explains, that I've done myself through concentrating, and trying putting a lot of spiritual effort into into experiencing the greatness of God in in the world in Hashgach Apatit so that love and fear goes goes to the head and it covers it goes back to the head and it covers the face then afterwards there's the love and fear which is innate as you said before, the love and fear just comes by remembering my fathers, from whom I inherit the love and fear. But not only is it my fathers, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, my fathers and mothers, but that natural love and fear is not relating to God as the creator of the universe. The, the meditation which gives birth to emotion in the heart is basically seeing the creator in creation so God is now the creator the love and fear of God which is, which is innate is experiencing God himself as my father as my father in heaven so not only do I inherit this from my fathers and mothers But God Himself is experienced as my father and mother. Anything which is innate corresponds to the feet or the legs and cover them. So just as we said, that love and fear which is born from the mind goes, lift those two wings, lift up to the face and cover the face. The same way that love and fear which is innate to the soul and relates to God naturally as my father there is a chapter in Tanya that uh, the author of explains that even though you might think that it is not the like Chabad was very uh, wearable care but very uh, concerned that everything that we do should not be self-deceptive in any way so the author of has to make a point in one of the chapters in Tanya that if a Jew just naturally turns to God and says Tata relates to God as Father whether you really think you're feeling it or not it's 100% authentic and true don't ask yourself a question if it's authentic to call God Father just the opposite you should call God Father as much as you can with a lot of thought with little thought with no thought this is just an innate natural way that a Jew automatically relates to our Father in Heaven. And so that love and awe which is innate, that goes to cover the feet. And that innate, something which I possess what does it mean to, to sneeze in modesty? Mm-hmm. Modesty means that I'm not uh, acknowledging or uh, Feeling any merit whatsoever in what I possess—it's all from God. Just like it's all it's just baruch Hashem. Like in the morning we say baruch Hashem shalom Modesty means that I take no credit to myself. Therefore, I don't. Modesty means in the, in the uh, idiom of chazidut never to stick out. If a sticks out, whether it's conscious or whether it's unconscious it means that he's uh, showing off in simple terms. Modesty is never just once more naturally not being able to show off because it's not, it's not from me, it's just, my, it's just my spiritual genes. That's not showing off, it's called not having any blita whatsoever in life. And the external extension, which is not covered up, this is for this reason. Modesty is always related to clothing. It's not having any. It's called blita, some extrusion of something which is not covered properly. That's again that, that's showing off in a certain way. The innate levels of love and fear are to cover one's legs. Which means never to to show off that's modesty and that's because this is innate in my essence as a Jew then when a person has has uh, obtained and is able to, to manifest in his soul those two pairs of wings the wings that go to the face that cover the face and the two wings that cover the legs then God gives him the third pair of wings, which is the two wings that fly. That actually fly upward and downward. The tremendous, intense, and infinite shuka to return to God and to descend into reality to perform one's uh, one's mission on earth. If we meditate upon the dimension of time, the temporal dimension, so the order of these three pairs is present, past and future that meditation which I meditate now on seeing witnessing the creator and his creation that's present that's like now observing, to meditate means deep observation that's the word he and not in Hebrew to looking for God and finding God in the world and then when God appears, he's right here in the present if he's in the present, it's just like once more, like most of the burning bush, that he covers his face just once more of a natural reaction to God appearing in the present the memory which covers the feet is an experience of the past, it's all in the present, but the present experiencing or living the past. The flying is flying to the future, flying to Mashiach, or bringing the future into the present. As we said before, and we'll conclude now with this uh, thought, just this, this first session, that uh, today is the earth of Yehuda, is Malchut. that order of beginning with the present and then the past and then the future is the order of the experience of time in Malkut, in Yehuda. As we say in our prayers, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, <laughs> Hashem Yimroch, Hashem is now king, Hashem was king, Hashem will be king forever and ever. This is a very, most deep topic in Hasidot, but we begin in Malkut, in experiencing time, we begin with the present, and then bring the past into the present, and then bring the future into the present. That's the Tikkun of Malkut. So in this, in this motion of with two wings he covers his face that 's the present per se as we know that creation takes place every instant. I also explained in that that the experience of the meditation on creation is the continual recreation the greatest wonder if we're talking about seeing Hashem in, in the world it wonders the greatest wonder of all which itself is the origin of Hashka mm-hmm. Chafratit as the as the, as the Rabbi explains it is simply the experience of the continual recreation of the world every second. that's that meditation gives birth to love and fear that goes once more goes back to, the, to cover the face then comes the the innate Jewishness, just the inherited love and fear of every Jewish soul. That Hashem was King. That was King. Again, that's connected to the present. Ultimately, Hashem in law, Hashem will be King forever and ever. That's the experience. You know, that's flying. What flying is flying to the future. So it says when we when we say these three time times of kingdom Hashem Melech Hashem Alach Hashem Imloch it is the numerical value of those three Hashem Melech Hashem Allah Hashem Imloch equals Mashiach exactly the Gemat that's all three together but in particular actually that phrase that we say in our prayers Hashem Melech Hashem Allah Hashem Imloch Olam V'ed is not one verse. It's a combination of several verses in the Tanakh. What is one verse by itself is the concluding verse of the Song of the Sea, after the splitting of the Red Sea, that the concluding verse that the Jewish people we sang to Hashem together with Moshe Labena is Hashem Yimuch. V'ed Hashem will be king forever and ever. And that name of Hashem in the order of the names that Hashem's explicit, it's called the Tetragrammaton, the essential name of God. There are 1,820 of those names in the whole Torah. If you count from the beginning of the Torah, that particular appearance, Hashem Havaya, the verse Hashem in is the 358th appearance, which is Mashiach. So, in particular, that name of Hashem Hashem that is and that's the future that's what you see when the red sea splits you see the future which is Hashem and that name of Hashem is, is equals it's, it's the order in the Torah is Mashiach and Mashiach itself equals all three together Hashem so I said this is the first our first thought, our first session about movement I'll, you'll now I'll, uh, see how it's done, maybe together with another few few uh, movements Mr if we will have an opportunity, I hope to uh, continue so this I guess, as we said, just to include the very most basic thing is. Be, becoming a candle, just like in this week's portion. Ha'adot wrote, A'chetei shalhevet that Aaron had to light the candles to the extent that the flame just aspired and descended by itself. And something happens by itself, just like we said before, it's called muda uti natural consciousness. It's called shalhevet Olameila." And as soon as you have that flame, so the very next step, which is the next lesson of movement, is now to become a fiery, a fiery angel. Mm-hmm. One of these <laughs> right here. So to become a fiery angel, you have to know how to use your six wings. And it's not just two. And, uh, and to enter into a state of boushah, and it's to, to rectify in our souls these three principles of boushah and Snoot and chukah all through the means of three different pairs of love and view the second part today is about uh, about song especially about about voice we talk about voice now what's unique in a woman's voice we all know that uh, if one of the things that the, that males are not supposed to hear is women except for their own wives and their daughters and sisters singing because called the bva there's something about a woman 's voice which is uh, which is very very intimate, much more so than a than a male voice. It's a male voice a woman can hear a male voice sing but uh but a woman's voice is, is too private, too intimate for a male to to hear so the truth is that that's because a woman's voice comes from a much higher place than a male voice <laughs> obviously <laughs> so to understand that we'll begin with the Imam al-Khazal that relates to the giving of the Torah just last week we had Matan Torah the Khazal say that that whoever participates and makes happy so he merits to receive the Torah What's of the relationship and why is there such a interdependency because it says that that in the prophet Yirmiyahu uh, Anapi relating to the future it says that there will be five voices of the future when Messiah will come we'll hear five voices the five voices are kol sasom ve kol simha kol chatan ve kol kala kol omnim Hoduat Hashem svaakot ki tov kiri olam chastu the voice of joy, the voice of happiness, the voice of the Khatan, the voice of the Kala, and the fifth voice is the voice that says give thanks to Hashem's Fakot for He is good His kindness is forever and ever but before the Torah was given it was just before in Parashat Yidro so there are also mentioned five voices so Chazal, our sages make a one-to-one correspondence it's a very uh, important Sikha how the explains that this Mamar Chazal is very likely the origin of establishing one-to-one correspondences between two sets of concepts so the only thing that connects them is the common number that they possess the number of of members in the set. And that here there are five voices of the uh, of the future which obviously also round around the voice of the uh, of the groom and the bride called al And there are also five voices of the giving of the Torah and Ghazal derived from that that whoever participates and makes happy obviously there are many deep explanations of what uh, these five voices correspond to the most basic of which is that they correspond to the five levels of the soul you know that the soul has five different dimensions or levels to it nefesh, ruach, neshamah, three inner dimensions these conscious dimensions and two super conscious levels what is voice? We're taught in, in Kabbalah that there's something about voice which is even deeper than, than sight, than light. Voice is the ability to project one's very self. There's something me, atmi means something essential about voice, that light is simply an infinitesimal emission of a source of light, of an atom. But his voice is, is is from the depth of one's essence or from the innermost point of one's heart from a place which is called the inaudible inaudible inner voice that one is if he's successful is able to project outwardly this is the reason that we begin the year the jewish year begins with the first mitzvah of the year which is mitzvah t'ayom b'shofar to blow the shofar that's before all revelation of light this voice has to be blown and that voice is once was coming from a place which is called in the Zohar Kalat Nimad from an inner voice which is inaudible, which essentially cannot be heard and nonetheless, is though miraculously a uh, miracle the voice is projected and made audible through the means of the shofar as we'll explain, there's something about a woman's voice that is coming from a deeper place in the heart than a, than a male voice a place which is so deep in the heart that it's uh, that in general it's totally inaudible and that's why really in this world when Tomashe comes men can't, it's not just that they're forbidden to hear it they can't hear it because it's inaudible as a general principle in the Torah sometimes it's Says so you're forbidden to do something, it really means that you can't do it. It's impossible. And you think that you're doing something, but the real thing that you would like to be doing is impossible to be done in this world. So that's why it's uh, forbidden to try. Because you're not going to succeed. And so, to understand this uh, a little bit better, let's now enumerate the five voices before the giving of the Torah how they correspond one to one to the five voices of, of Yirmiyahu and Navi of the future so it begins with a phrase rakim, that there were voices and lightning that was the first revelation before the giving of the Torah kolotu rakim. so Chazal say that since Kolot there is in the plural there is always a a general principle that something in the plural is at least two and since the Torah comes to be explicit and not to be not explicit so we assume that it's referring to two different uh, categories of levels. so if it says by he kolot that there were voices that means two voices those first two voices correspond to the first two voices of, of Jeremiah which are the voice of joy and the voice of Happiness, calls us on kol simcha. Then comes the third voice of Matan Torah, which is the kol shofar chazak The voice of the shofar was very strong. So in addition to voices in general, there was one particular voice that they heard, which is the voice of the shofar, just like Rosh That's why on Rosh itself, when we read the verses of the Shofrot the majority of all of the verses of the Shofot are those verses that refer to Matan, the giving of the Torah then the next voice so so that voice that says Kol Shofar Chazak Mo the voice of the Shofar was very strong that corresponds to Kol to the voice of the Groom that's the third voice, the third of the five then the fourth voice Is a similar voice, but if we now understand the uh, the, term, the phraseology, it's different. It says, And the voice of the Shofar was becoming very, very great. Hulek was going and progressively becoming greater and greater. (laughs) <laughs> that's the fourth one and that once more based on the one to one correspondence that corresponds to the voice of the of the bride now the voice of the bride we don't hear in this world that's why under a the bride doesn't even answer when the groom puts the ring on the finger of the bride and thereby patrol service the kalah so, according to it would be advisable and better if she would acknowledge the fact that she accepts to be to be sanctified. But the custom is that she doesn't say anything. Because uh, of all the sifrei halachah, the question is asked: Would be much better, How that she should answer? But she doesn't. She remains quiet. Meaning there's something so secretive about her voice that she's not singing there. It's not a voice of singing under the canopy, under the fuppah. Nonetheless, in this world, her voice is not heard. Only in the future, that's why this, the verse of Jeremiah is a, few, a verse talking and referring to the future, to the coming of Mashiach, then her voice will be heard. And her voice will actually be greater, become greater than the voice of the groom himself. Now I'll explain. the two voices of the groom and the bride are both referring to the shofar, to the shofar blast. Now the word shofar is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It means it's one of the idioms, one of the synonyms. There are eight different synonyms in the in the in the Shona Kodesh, in the holy tongue of the Bible. Eight different synonyms for beauty. The According to Tabela, the highest of all is the word Shefer, Shofar. It's usually in the sense of eloquence. Like in the blessing of naftali, Naftadi, Ayala Shulchanot and Shefer. Eloquent words. Shufra is the most precious or choice. Most beautiful of something is called Shufra. Even the city of Jerusalem is called Karta de Shufray, the beautiful city of the world, the most beautiful city. Karta de Shufraya, also based upon an important gematria numerical equivalent, that Shofar equals Yerushalayim, a It's called the most beautiful of cities. So, a uh, Shofar, it's, uh, also the, the question is asked, the voice of the Shofar is, is a totally. We'll call it a raw voice it doesn't it's not the voice of a uh, of a harp or a violin or any other musical instrument that has a pleasant sounding voice it's just a voice from from out of nature just like a pure uh so it says that the different musical instruments correspond to the different fields different uh, lights and emanations by which the creator creates reality and the shofar which is the highest of all of the musical instruments corresponds to keter, to the superconscious that's why its a voice is just a pure simple voice that also creates causes trembling of the soul and even though it doesn't appear at first to, to be, to be a, a pleasant sound but it is the origin of all beauty, the sound of this, like raw sound of the shofar. Just to complete the one-to-one correspondence, the fifth voice of the giving of the Torah is right after it says, that the voice of the shofar went, was going, and progressing, becoming stronger and stronger. Then it says, the continuation of the same verse reads that Moses spoke in order that his words should reach the whole Jewish people and actually permeate all of the atmosphere of reality with the vibrations of his voice. So God had to answer him by giving him voice. He spoke Kimi God gave him voice. Means that the power that his word should penetrate reality, as we'll go on to explain. That's the fifth voice, and that voice corresponds to the fifth voice of the of Yirmiyahu, which is that the final voice, the code, the voice that says, "Give thanks to the God of hosts, for He is good; His kindness is forever." So what we see here, the two voices that correspond to the groom and the bride, are the two different idioms referring to the voice of the shofar. What's the difference? The difference is the first is just a definitive statement that the call of our Maud, that the voice of the shofar was very strong, hazak the second one is a is a statement a sentence that it's even the word chazak which means strong it's not statically strong it's becoming stronger and stronger it's in a different grammatical form, it doesn't say chazak the second verse, it says chazak cholech maod. it's going and becoming stronger and stronger what is that musically? Musically it's like a crescendo. So there's something about a woman's voice that's very interesting. So a male voice is just constantly strong in itself. Just as an adjective. A kol shofar chazak ma'od. Whereas that voice that corresponds to the, to the voice of the Kala is a voice that's becoming stronger and stronger. With time, until ultimately, with the coming of Mashiach, it will be very, very strong. It will be stronger even than the than the male voice and the voice of the Chatan As though it's beginning from zero or from inaudibility, and it's progressively becoming, it's crescendoing. So that's what's now happening. In general it says that the whole, in the Kabbalah, the whole secret of the, the feminine principle is that the, the, the feminine essence begins from a point and it progresses and it grows as relatively the male figure is static. Whereas the feminine figure is called Kabbalistic feminism is always growing and progressing until the time of Mashiach that it will be equal to that of the male and then it will even exceed that the stature it's called the stature that she will come out the male so this is very very clearly reflected and represented in the secret of, this, of the voice that it's like the, the male and the female here are two shofar older, two shofars is that one is continuously strong and the other is becoming stronger and stronger the whole female essence is one of becoming olech b'chazek ma'od not chazak ma'od we know that the female principle is that of the people of Israel in general in reference in contrast to Hashem of the Jewish people is, begins with just a point that has to expand and develop itself and crescendo I'd not understand this better before we said the final of the five voices is that voice that God gives Moses Moshe Moses speaks, and God gives him a voice. We said that that's explained, but this fifth voice is the continuation, or maybe it's the climax in a certain way of the feminine voice. It comes right after the fourth one, which is the voice of the of the Kala, called Kala. Here we're taught that the secret of God giving Moses voice is giving. The leader, Moses is the leader of the generation. The ability to make a deep lasting impression upon reality by the power of projection of himself. That's more, well, voice is the deepest projection of self. Moses speaks like any leader, says a leader controls or rules through the power of speech. But that speech has to penetrate reality. And that ability is a voice. In order to penetrate reality, it has to come from a deep place in the heart. It's called just like an inter, interrelationship between two souls. So that it's, it's, it's a clear interdependency that if one wants to penetrate another heart, and my words are, should enter your heart, it's in direct proportion to how deep they come from my own heart or something comes from the depth of my heart and it enters into the depth of your heart and it, it affects what it is meant to affect in the heart of the hearer So once more a male voice since it's relatively stable or static is also a relatively objective voice we'll call it Whereas the female voice, which is deeper and will only be revealed in the future, is a more subjective voice. It's coming from the deepest feeling in the heart. About Mashiach itself, it says, why doesn't the the reason the Mashiach doesn't come, or that not yet here, we don't see him yet, is because God Himself is unable to express from the depth of His heart, as it were, to get out of himself the coming of Mashiach the of that's the why doesn't God tell us when the date the date of the redemption will be that this redemption is totally hidden and concealed the redemption of after the Babylonian exile was revealed for seventy years. why is this this exile a exile that has no explicit end to it? So Chazal say in the Gemara that the reason is that that Hashem himself as it were is unable to get that message out of his heart. It's called He cannot as it were reveal from his heart to his mouth. The ultimate female voice or song is that that's a very revelation but when God will be able to say what he has in his heart, that inaudible voice again he'll be able to take a shofar gadol, that's the great shofar of the future and get it out of his heart and also it's women will be able to sing in public it's the same it's the same thing because that's where the woman's voice is coming from now back to back to the fifth voice the fifth voice is the voice that God gives Moses to be able to penetrate reality that's also what's missing that he the leader like the Rabbi, can speak and it obviously makes an impression but if it would make a, the deepest ultimate Absolute impression Then the would have been here long ago. There has to be here a and and another call. One of the secrets of that word, call, voice. Once when I was talking about voice, is I'm now repeating what we said in the beginning. There's something about voice much more essential even than light, sight. Voice is just as we said it's the ability to penetrate or to get it out. Of my depth into we are into the world, we're taught that that word call in Hebrew is a shortened form. It's called a notrikun, for two words kodesh and chol. The word call. How do we spell call? Kufavlamid. Kufav Lamed begins with the kuf, it represents kodesh. The lamid is the end of the word chol. Kodesh is holiness, sanctity. Chol is the mundane, the profane, the world. So, what does this teach us about about the concept of voice? That voice is the ability to connect or to link from the kodesh to the chol. One of the meanings of the word chol in Hebrew is lechalchel. Whoever knows Hebrew, the also means to seep into, to penetrate into reality that the Kodesh, to get the holiness, like the holiness of the Torah into reality itself, like into, call it science, we're talking here about Torah and science. So that ability to unite the holy and the secular, we'll call it, the whole, that depends upon the power of one's voice. That's the secret of voice. So now we know that in Holi itself, in the concept of Kodesh, there are two levels. There's Kodesh and there's Kodesh Kodashim. There's the Holi and there's the Holi of the Holies. In the Beit HaMikdash, the Holi was the chamber where you had the Menorah and the Shulchan, the, uh, with the, the, the shoe bread on it, the Shulbread on the Shulchan, and you had the Mizbah HaTorah, the incense. And the with the candles that's all in the Kodesh and the Holy in the sanctuary but then there is the Kodesh and the Holy of Holies that's where the Ark and the Kruvim, the Cherubim are now the Holy of Holies is the place that Hashem unites as it were in marriage with the with the origin or the root of the Jewish people the Israel was called the unification of, of the Holy One Blessed Be He and the Divine Presence which is represented by the two cherubim that's why it says that the voice the ultimate voice we read it just at the end of Parashat Naso, descends between the two cherubim and from the two it, it it is sent out only to Moses' ears that he heard it in the tabernacle and then when it reaches the, the end of the Kodesh, it ceases, it stops that voice. And it says actually, as Rashi explained, that's the very same voice that we heard, the whole Jewish people heard at the giving of the Torah. Since the Holy of Holies is the place of, of union of the marriage, the marital union of Hashem and the, and the Jewish people, Rabbi always used to say, it, uh, often at the end of the sikhot kodesh, uh, that uh, when he would bless, bless us at the end, it was one of the blessings that the Rabbi repeated often, was that we should all merit very, very soon to be enter all the way into the holy of holies and to dance with God. Every single Jew, not just the kohen gadol, the high priest, on Yom Kippur, but every single Jew and Jewess to enter all the way into the holy of holies and to dance. What, what, type of, what type of a dance to be together with God that's called a mitzvah dance like when you get married the maiden that is about to get married she is happy in, in the dance the dance for the, uh, of the groom and the bride so the whole topic by itself in any event the holy of holies in the Tanakh in the Bible one of the idioms for the holy of holies is called the bedroom Hadarhamit Abbashem. That's the place that between the two cherubim on the holy ark that is the place of the union. And from that place a voice goes out. The Shina descends and the voice is emitted from that place. That is the voice of the woman. That's the voice of the Kala. So once more the, vo- the male voice is a voice. Voice is the union of Kodish and Chol. Of the holy and the secular, call. But if the voice is coming just from the level of kodesh, not kodesh kodashim, then it reaches a certain level of chol. But if it's coming from kodesh kodashim, from the holy of holies, and according to one of the basic principles in Kabbalah, pasirot, the higher something comes from the further and the lower it extends. And since coal is, is this capture if it's coming from the very deepest point of the heart then it also it also reaches the very, very furthest extreme, like Yafutsu and it's what is that, the image. We know the Bhashanto Vatana when when he's coming. And the answer was when your well springs will burst forth to the very furthest part of point of reality. Where does that wellspring come from? It comes from the Holy of Holies. That wellspring itself is like the voice that comes out of the Holy of Holies. And if it comes out of the Holy of the Kodesh, then it extends to the very, very furthest place of of So Once more, a a male voice comes from Kodesh and also reaches Chol, but to a limited extent. Mashal the of Adumeh. What is this similar to? There's a famous word of Repinches uh, Koretz, one of the great Chomidim of the What's the difference between a Tzaddik Gamur and a Tzaddik Sheinogamur? A consummate Tzaddik and a Tzaddik was not yet consummate so it says, you see it in its in the reflection of his love. That if a Tzaddik loves a Rasha Gamur a consummate wicked man that's a, that's a sign that he must be a tzaddik but if he only is able to love a rasha a non-consummate rasha so that he also is a tzaddik for love the ability to love is also like a voice projecting from oneself he says that if you're a Tzadik approaching becoming of Mashiach we have to be Tzadikim, all of us. We should try to be Tzadikim, and who is a Tzadik One whose voice, his love, because the love is the voice, is able to reach a Rasha gamur. Whereas if your love, your voice is only able to reach a Rasha Shaino so that means that you're a Tzadik Shaino so that's just like the union of Kodesh and Chol if it's coming from Kodesh then it reaches a level of Chol like the Rasha Sheinu but if it's coming from Kodesh HaKorashim then it reaches a level of Chol which is like the Rasha Gamor the Consulate Rasha how do we see this? there is one context in the Torah that women did sing even in public men heard them sing. When was that? And what when they would lament at funerals, make on a note. Why were women allowed to sing at funerals? To lament, keynote? Because it is most uh, solemn and and uh, prideful time or emotional time that there's no m- m- moment that's more emotional than that time that is the voice of the woman was able to arouse the depth of emotion and to fulfill the verse that the Rabbi always used to say in Pohelet and that says that at a funeral or a time of mourning then he who is alive shall so take it to heart in the simple sense of what it means to take the heart and in the deeper sense that the Rebbe would say that he can bring down the life from the deceased soul into his own life he can return it he can bring back or, or enliven or resurrect the life of the deceased in his own being that's the way the Rebbe would interpret so there's something about a woman's voice that she can do that Why are we saying that now? Because you see that the most mournful time, there is nothing which is a rush, which is lower than The ability to reach to the furthest extreme and actually transform it and resurrect it is able to reach a place of death and bring it back to life there's a again simply it's through just the mourning through the, through the crying itself but the deep meaning is that there's a power to resurrect even death in the Zohar it says that there's a voice by the power of voice Joseph like talked about that there's a due the of resurrection the giving of the Torah the soul's left the body and Hashem resurrected the souls through the, the dew of the Torah which is the dew of triyav, resurrection that he will in the future resurrect all the dead there is also a voice that says in the Zohar, not light there is a voice that has the power to resurrect, everything can be accomplished even transforming the depth of the furthest extreme of impurity and bringing it back to life that is in the power of a voice So means that that voice has to come from the Holy of Holies in the Holy of Holies there is no death whatsoever just like the redemption that Rabbi Grauze explained that the redemption of the future is not a redemption which simply negates on a practical plane exile, that we are beating from exile because that's the redemption we had several times in the past, that we were in exile and we came out of exile but it's a type of redemption that exile becomes impossible that we're logically out of world that there's no longer any possibility of exile because the world has entered into such a state it as, as though death has been swallowed up forever there's no more death it's called Bilaha HaMavet LaNetzach and this is to emphasize very very deeply what is the ultimate power of a woman's voice they come from Kodesh Kodashim to Chulin to the furthest extreme of Chol and l'chalchel to penetrate that hole until that hole becomes sanctified that's called that the chudin itself becomes Kodesh. Right. So we'll conclude with one more important uh, very beautiful uh, story we probably all heard this imaginative so- stories that Rabbi Nachman the Press has told, the most important of which is called the Zion Bethel, the Seven Beggar story. It's a very, very elaborate story that each one of the days of the Shevz, the chefs all based upon around the Shevz of Rokas. And each day a different uh, Bethel came and blessed the couple, the young married couple, won't get into the details, but his particular faculty the first day blind man that he says that you think that I'm blind I'm not blind it's just that this whole world doesn't appear to me for one iota of time but my sight transcends infinitely the sight of this world and the second day is a battler who is deaf and then the third day is a battler who is dumb and then the fourth day and this is the day that we're talking about is a battler is called the battler who has a crooked neck the crooked-necked beggar. So he says, he comes and says, when he appears on the fourth day, he says to the, to the young married couple, he says, that you think that I have a crooked neck, but I really don't have a crooked neck at all. My neck is the most beautiful neck in the world. It's so just that since I do not allow myself to to express any of the vanities of this world it appears in this world that my neck is crooked but really my voice is the most wondrous voice in reality and then as the other better say and I can prove it to you and what's the proof so he starts to tell a story and the story is that that there was a certain uh, Medina, a certain country, that each one of the uh, of the people in that country it was a, a musical country all musicians and singers and the leaders were the, were the greatest musicians of all and each one sat around and uh, told the story of what he can do what he can accomplish with his musical talents, with his voice, and we'll make the, a long story short. After everyone was finished uh, praising himself, so I said, well, this is the crooked naked, better. I said to them, well, if you have such a great power of your voice, let's see if you can save those two those two countries that are in a tremendous crisis and trouble there are two different countries on two different sides of the face of the earth and every night a voice just out of the blue is heard and it's a voice of lament, of lamentation and it's such a powerful voice of lamentation that in these two countries they can't sleep, nobody can sleep because when you hear this voice at night everybody starts to cry and so they cry all night long and they can never sleep. So let's see if you can save these two countries. So obviously nobody knew how this, first of all he had to take them there to let them hear the voice themselves and as soon as they heard the voice, they also broke down in tears and they couldn't control themselves. So he said to them, if you can't control yourselves, obviously you cannot save these, these two countries. So what is, the, what is the story? He says that the story is such that there are two birds, a male bird and a female bird. And These birds at the beginning of creation were together but then they lost one another and in search for one another, instead of coming closer to one another and finding one another they, just the opposite happened, they became further and further away from one another and when they reached a state, a point of, uh, of despair so each one made a nest outside of one of these two countries and Every night they start to cry because they're far away from their, from their mate. And their tears and their voice is so strong that the, the country hears it, and they, nobody can sleep they're in a continual state of, uh, of mourning, together with these two birds. He says to the other people, the other musicians, that he took with him that if I would take you to these nests of well, these two birds, you couldn't, you couldn't take it, you couldn't uh, suffer, you couldn't stand it, you couldn't live. Even in the daytime, I can't take you there, because in the daytime, all of the other birds and animals come to console these two birds, and they make such a tremendous simple happiness that also the happiness is so great there in the daytime that nobody, no human being. No, Basarvadam could stand to be present at that time. It's just that is not audible to the outside of that of that area itself. But at night, when they start to cry, these two birds, then it is audible. How can I save these two Nodes? Because I have the power, a voice, and this is the reason my neck is crooked. I have the power to throw voice, to project voice means that I can sit here and you won't hear anything come out of my voice here but okay. I can project my voice and throw my voice that, that it will appear to come from there and at the same time I can make any voice in the world but I can recreate or act I will come in the next uh, talk is about acting can act out any act in the world, and create any voice and anything that you want to hear, or which uh, voice reflects actions that take place. And then there were all exa- examples of what what, uh, what he gave there. And any voice in the world I can uh, I can create, and I can project my voice. So what am I going to do? i to little by little project my voice to each bird, how can I bring them together? By making each one hear the other, even though they're on the other two sides of the earth now. But I can project my voice to the extent that each one will begin to hear the other one. And little by little in that way I can bring them together. And that's the way I'll save not just these two countries, but I'll save the whole of creation. Obviously, this is a prototype of of the of the exile in general, the exile of the Jewish people. So, what do we learn this far? Why do we tell the story? Because this is a story also that's based on the power of voice. Before we said that voice is the ability of Kodesh being able to penetrate whole. And the deeper it's coming from the Kodesh from the itself, like from Kodesh Kodeshim, the deeper and the further it is able to extend and penetrate, and even transform, resurrect, Hodin. Here we see that voice is the ability also to bring two very, very distant souls, which are a mate together, it's like, this is a story say of a Khan if anybody here, people need a Shiduk so it means that the mate must be some place far away so we need a Shad Khan just like this bettor, the fourth better with a crooked a crooked naked better. that he's able to, to make the Shiduk and to bring the couple together Make each one find the lost other side. That's also through the power, the power of voice. That's also something that they most, like today, the minhag Bashur the minhag Torahi, is that most shatchanim, most are actually women. they have to have also the power, especially this power a voice to be able to bring the two birds together (coughs) that voice is called the konaim the idiom is called the pleasant voice, the initial letters of which are nest kan, kan sipor the very word for a bird, why is the idiom here, why is the object birds two birds, because a bird in Hebrew means to chirp it's the same word, it's voice he is from voice, and he sits in a nest. And the word Sipar equals Shalom, Peace. That's why a bird is a symbol of peace. He said, equals bigamati of peace in Hebrew. And we're taught in the law, and we know this is uh, one of the most uh, important images throughout the Torah, that that bird which is sitting and waiting in his nest and far away from his mate and crying every night, that is the Mashiach himself, because the the chamber, like when the Bal Shem Tov went up and spoke with the Mashiach, when are you going to come? Where did he go? Where, what is that place called? That place is called Kanzi, but it's called the bird's nest. That's the chamber that Mashiach sits, dwells in, waiting to find his mate, his lost mate. And that nest, once more, the word nest, again, is an acronym for Kol Naim, the pleasant voice. But that pleasantness comes from the rectification of the of tsavvar. The Even the, the term that Rabinapan uses is Kol Nifla. It's the wondrous voice. That wondrous voice, Kol Nifla actually equals, began after the word Tzadvar, that's the neck itself so this is probably the reason that women wear necklaces in order to be able to reveal that Kol Naim which is to make the shidduch to find the Mashiach in his nest and to bring that bird who is the Mashiach himself to the Jewish people to redeem the Jewish people so that's the, this all the power of the voice of the woman who is the voice of the Kala, Ko Kala so as we said in the beginning this is now the halo of the candle, which is drama. we know that many uh, English words come from original Hebrew roots one of which is explained in different etymologies is the word drama itself it comes from from the basic dar but in the etymology it says that uh, drama is like dramatic which is very close to drastic which is the two basic uh, letters are DR which in Hebrew is the word dar and dar means to live like the word diran, diran is a, is a home you know the famous expression of Chazal, which is one of the, uh, the fundamental statements that's spoken in Tanya why Hashem created the world. The reason for creation, that Hashem has a, his own passion, as it were, to have a dwelling place for love. So the way it's always explained in Hasidut is that a dwelling place is a place that you can be yourself, free. But even the higher worlds, it says Hashem has to put on, put on some type of a facade, even in the world of Akshidot. But he wants a place down below, all the way down below, that he can be himself. That's the way it's normally explained. That that's what we're here to create with our own tikkun rectification of natural consciousness to create a place that's worthy to be a dirah, a home, a dwelling place for, for God. Before we were talking about the nest, was one uh, important yeah, Matthew, that we didn't say that that very phrase There are the two phrases that both have the initial letters nun, which is a nest. One is kol wondrous voice that equals the word sabar we said. The other is we didn't say, it, but that equals that equals the pleasant voice. Equals woman, the word for woman herself, isha. That a woman is identical equals a pleasant voice. Once one whose initials are Ken? So a ken is very much like a Dira, a dwelling place. But now we're going to explain something which is, uh, which is at first, at first view, paradoxical. That there's something dramatic, like there's drama. <coughs> which is, drama is enclosing yourself in a character which initially is not yourself it's like acting, acting a, a character, learning how to act but in some parad- paradoxical way, if the, if, the, if the drama is true, it's positive we'll call it it's a positive experience, a positive act acting is from the word act if it's a positive act then actually through the drama itself you're getting your own act together as in the idiom in English and as though you're being someone else you're really being yourself you're learning how to be yourself that's actually the the deepest uh, reason for for acting is to learn even though you're playing it's playing, you're playing a part you're playing a, what appears to be a first class, a foreign part something which is not yourself but really you're in that way becoming yourself so to say it in a very blunt words, that though Hashem wants a, a dwelling place below a home below is as though to say that He wants a place and he can act out just exactly the way he wants to be God below that he can't be God the way he wants to play it in the world of Atzirot in the higher worlds but he wants a world that he can play God exactly the way he wants to play it to play that part and that's the most dramatic thing about creation that's the purpose of creation what do we see in the Torah that sometimes you have to play a part, which appears not to be yourself? The Rambam, when he discusses in Hilchot De'ot, which are the laws of uh, rectification of one's character traits, so he says that there are two character traits that a person has to distance himself from altogether: one is arrogance, and the other is anger. Nonetheless, he says that even in in the case of anger, which is maybe the worst of all. He brings the famous saying that whoever gets angry is, is worshipping idolatry. So there's nothing worse than that, especially for the Rambam. The Rambam says that all of the Torah and all of the 613 commandments are simply to negate idolatry, totally. And whoever gets angry, he says, is, is worshipping idolatry. There's nothing worse than that. Nonetheless, he does say that sometimes a, a parent or a teacher... Has to play, has to pretend to be angry, in order to properly educate or chastise in a positive way his uh, children or his uh, his people, as even Moshe Rabbeinu himself. So it's once more enclosing himself in the very most negative, trait feasible. And nonetheless, it's a mitzvah, you have to learn how to do it. it that himself has to learn how to act. He has to go to acting school in order to be able to act. Or a parent at home, or sometimes even a spouse. There are many, many different situations in life that were supposed to be 100% true and sincere and trustworthy not supposed to pretend to be something else. To pretend to be something else is, uh, is deception. It says that the whole the whole of Sefer Tanya Kaddisha, the whole of Sefer Tanya, the classic book of Hasidut is do not deceive yourself, don't pretend to be something, don't think that you're something that you're not. But sometimes if you're conscious, right there it means don't deceive yourself Don't think that you're something that you're not. Know who you really are. The famous word of the Rabbi Rabzusha, one of the great Hasidic sages, that that before he passed away, he cried to Hashem, and when he was asked why he's crying and why he's repenting, doing so strong tshuva, so he said that when I go to heaven, they won't ask me why you weren't Moshe Rabbeinu, they'll ask me why you weren't Susha. Why you want yourself? Because everybody in this world has to his, his, his ultimate goal and challenge in life is to be exactly who he really is, to find himself. But sometimes a person dresses up, puts on a costume to find his true self, his true identity. That's also a very beautiful phenomenon in Hebrew that to to dress up as someone else, which is called the to put on a costume means the search. Is the reflexive form in Hebrew of searching for oneself. The hitchapes in Hebrew means to to put on a costume. To pretend to be someone else, like on Purim. And that word *lihitchapes* it reflects a form of searching for yourself. So there's something very deep about uh, drama that that has to do with the faculty of *daat*. *Daat* means to know. It means to know Hashem, to know the other, to know yourself. In order to truly know yourself, you have to be able to act different parts at different times conscious a hundred percent conscious of what you're doing in the way that the Torah directs us happy Torah, just think in this case of Moshe Rabbeinu sometimes he has to appear to be angry it even says that if he really falls into one moment of true anger as he did so When a person becomes angry, he becomes, he makes a mistake. So this is even said about Moshe Rabbeinu, that when he became, when he really became angry, and so he made a mistake. But he nonetheless has to know how to act. He didn't, even Moshe Rabbeinu apparently didn't master hundred percent his acting school how to know exactly how to act, when to be, to, to be able to dress up in what otherwise would be the most negative character traits of all. all right, so taking this now onto consideration, we'll discuss in particular how a person, like if we're acting a play, in every play there are positive characters and there are negative characters. Call them light characters and dark characters. How is it possible? Especially for uh, in the case of children, we know that the Rebbe used to say that even on Purim, it's not educational for children to dress up as, as Haman as Haman, because uh, by dressing up in a, a as a, as a foreign identity, something can can stick to you, even at the beginning of Shulchan Aruch. It says that a person has to know how to be bold We they ask an owner to be bold as a leopard or a tiger not to be affected by what people say about you that if people ridicule you for doing meat's fault for doing good things you have to just not take it, not be aware and not be meat pile is the word not to be affected at all and even sometimes to answer with a little bit of chutzpah. And it goes on in the Shofen HaLath to say that if you do too much, it might cling to you. That azut chutzpah, which it says in Turkey Avot, that aspanim, a person who is too bold, goes to the, goes to heaven, it says, again, on aspanim again. So even though you have to, this is the very, very first tabafah law in the Jewish code of law, is to know how to play boldness and chutzpah. The very beginning of the Shokan Aruch is to be to play a tiger, or to play a leopard. But you have to know how to do it in the right measure. In order that the negative side effects shouldn't cling to you, shouldn't change, shouldn't affect your character <coughs> in, in a negative way. So this balance how to play different roles? When Nezer, this world requires the ability to play different roles. It's a very dramatic, is a very dramatic world. In order to play properly all of those roles, a person have to, has to have a lot of dot It's one of the faculty of dot which is above even the heart that's singing or the feet that is dancing. So once we're now we're going to discuss in particular how one plays a negative role.
0: Say so in a play.
1: The very simplest way thing to say is that if it's, if we're talking about children, so it's not good. Don't don't uh, write plays or present plays that have negative roles that you have to give a, a child a a role to be to be a rasha. Sometimes it's also possible to create a play that that negative figure is actually not any person whatsoever. You just hear the voice in the background. It's a definite non technique. How to avoid having a, a person actually play the, negative, the very negative role in the play. But nonetheless, what we're going to talk about now is how to, yes, be able to play a negative role it's not for children to be really able to play a negative role a person has to have has to be very very mature if a person is immature only give him positive roles to play that's why in educating children you have to educate the child to be a tzaddik and to say over and over again even if you pretend to be a tzaddik it's good to pretend to be a tzaddik as if you pretend to be a tzaddik so little by little that something will cling to you and be a tzaddik once more, if a person is immature he has to be given only the most positive roles to play but to the degree in direct proportion to one's maturity which is called one is able to receive parts in a play which requires a a, a breadth, a spectrum of all hues in the play, and the person that is given the negative part should be that person that has the greatest degree of the highest degree of, of consciousness, of that. Even about oneself, it says that a person is not meant to know his own shortcomings and failings and everything bad about himself, if he's not able to balance it and cope with it, because he has a very he's very mature in his consciousness that he knows very, very well Hashem's mercy. It's also one of the greatest principles of Hasidut. That the more that a person is aware of how merciful God is, so is he shown his own shortcomings. Because by being shown his own shortcomings, if he is in a state of mature consciousness, he will not despair, and just the opposite, he will cope positively with his problems. If a person does not have great consciousness of Hashem's mercy and compassion, he should not know even of his own shortcomings, because he won't be able to cope with them. He will just fall into despair. So this is again a classic example that 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 knowing evil depends upon maturity. To be able to know evil in such a way or to to know is very often means to identify even. Like if you're playing the parts so or there's some identification you have taking place, that's a function of of great consciousness, maturity. The Baal Shem Tov teaches that the greatest principle or dynamic of serving Hashem is a three-stage dynamic which he calls submission, separation and sweetening. In Hebrew it's havdalah, Hamtaka. Any complete called avodat, nima complete service of Hashem a person has to go through three stages of consciousness. The first is submission, hakna'ah. The second is separation, havdava'ah. And the third is sweetening, hamtaka. The Baal Shem continues to explain that all of the great mistakes, even of very great people in mankind, is that they did not go through the complete cycle of all of these three stages, and try to achieve or reach the final stage of Hamtaka before properly rectifying the first two stages of Hachna'ah, of submission and then separation. So now we're going to explain these three stages in portraying a dark character. The first reason, or the first mindset that a person can put himself into what is, what positive thing will come to me if I play this dark figure in this play. So the first thought is that if I play this dark figure by necessity I will have to find in myself similar failings what is this like? It says even about great rabbis especially in Chabad there are many, many stories of the altar Rebbe, and the middle-revi that when very negative figures with very, very black stories came to Yechidut came to, to seek their counsel and told of all of their uh, their sins and transgressions. So sometimes the Rebbe in the middle of such, a, uh, of such an audience which is called Yechidut stopped in the middle and left the room and sometimes he left the room just for a short period of time and sometimes he closed himself in solitude even for days in fast the Rebbe and when asked to explain why so he would explain that whoever comes to me with the very worst possible story of what he did say he's a murderer if I'm not able to identify, to find some point in myself that is just like him, I cannot help him and if I hear a very very bad story and I cannot in my way, in my inner way, play his role. Obviously I am not a murderer but if I can't find that potential point just from his story himself to dress up in his costume, I cannot give him a tikkun, I cannot rectify him because first I have to find it in myself and then I have to rectify it in myself and only when I rectify it myself, I can then rectify it in him, in the other. If I identify it immediately, like it clicks, that I hear something bad, and I also have, in the most refined way, it's called dakut that same negative character, even though it's a million, infinitely more refined than appears in this wicked person. If I immediately find it in myself, good, And I can deal with it, I can help it. If I don't find it in myself, so I, I have to do tshuva. That's the Rebbe, the Rebbe Tadik said, why do I have to do tshuva? Because I must have it. My soul, every, all souls are connected, especially a soul of Moshe Rabbeinu, that's the general soul of the generation, is connected to all souls. If I don't find and identify with that evil in any way at all, it means that that evil is in my subconscious, which is bad, because it should be conscious. And if it's so deep in my own subconscious that I do not identify with this person at all, then I have to do a lot of chuvah until I find it, in my, until I reveal it, bring it out from my own subconscious. So these are stories that are told, of especially of Chabad, of the Chabad Rebbeim. Several of such stories. Last week we received the Torah, Chag Shavuot, about the Torah. What are the Ten Commandments? It's also the Ten Commandments: do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not kidnap. Stilling refers to kidnapping, the very, very worst capital crimes imaginable. At this high point of spiritual the poor with the infinite why does he tell us these types he can tell us that some other opportune time why at that high point of divine revelation do we have to hear do not murder so it says that the very just as we said before about in a direct proportion to to recognizing God's mercy so that we find in ourselves our shortcomings the same thing is true at the very highest, greatest revelation, that we have to know that we are humans, that we have a potential to murder. Very simple. And just because the revelation is so great, that's why we have to be told, do not murder. Right, so this is all to explain the first thought, which we itself, we can understand, it's already a very, very mature state of consciousness, which is called that, that when I play a negative, you know, a very, very negative part my purpose is finding in myself similar, that I'm not in a such a coarse and overt fashion bad as that part that I'm playing but I'm doing it in order just like, almost like a, a Rebbe in order to find bidakut it's called in a most refined way how I also have those dark sides to my personality in order to rectify it that if I will not be conscious something that you're not conscious of you can't rectify it's like a wound it says that you don't see you can't treat it the wound has to become revealed in order to be treated so this is all the first level of playing the first stage which is the first level of playing a negative role which is the level of hachna'ah, of submission and going back to Baal Shem so it says that any complete service of Hashem has to be has to proceed in three stages submission and separation and sweetening. So submission means here in our context playing this negative role in an existential state of loneliness. That no matter how bad that person is, that role that I'm playing I'm doing, it's good for me it's a good experience for me to play this Rasha in order to find it myself Similar points, even though it's a totally different dimension. But it's necessary for me to find it in order to be able to rectify it. And afterwards, even to be able to rectify people in the outside world, which have these negative traits in a more overt fashion than I possess them. So this is all stage number one. As we just now said, is already a very high level of consciousness. State number two and state number three are even higher levels of consciousness. State number two is separation. Sometimes the very opposite of what we just now explained is the case. We know that in Tanya, the author Rabbi defines the tzaddikamur as one who hates evil consummately. And if you do not hate evil consummately, then you're not a consummate tzaddik, you're an inconsummate tzaddik. A tzaddik no Sometimes it's necessary to put oneself into a negative scene or role in order to, just like sometimes there's very often the most negative characteristic self-hatred I hate who I am is a psychological, a very very deep psychological problem that a person has some identity and he hates that self-identity so the true, your true self-identity like a Zusha, to be Zusha you shouldn't hate, just the very opposite your whole life should be devoted to assume that true identi- identity but if you just want to be Moshe Rabbeinu and you don't like who Zusha is then you're in a ver- very bad way but since a person has a yeter Tov and a Yetzir HaRa a good positive inclination and negative inclination and according to Tanya it's a a, a good soul and a bad soul to do tshuva one of the idioms that's used in Hasidut for a true tshuva is also very very strong in Chabad Hasidut you will find the very strongest expressions much more than any other place the middle Rebbe, for instance, in talking and referring, describing a true Tshuva who is a person who is so existentially disgusted with his life that he hates his being totally. That hating himself does not shoram come to suicide. It comes to chuva. In all chuva is separation that sometimes I cannot separate, I cannot split from my negativity, from my essential negativity, just totally sever myself from it if I don't hate it, or actually as do I hate myself. So again this is very, very tricky surface here, ground. In this level a person plays a negative role in order to heat that role just the very opposite as it were as what we said before just if we meditate in depth it's not it's not totally the opposite because this is a way of doing Shuga we said before that I have to identify with something in order to fix it in myself now we're saying that not only to identify I also have this bad thing I have to fix it so first we can fix it in a relatively easy way but some things you can't fix even if you do identify it in yourself in a relatively simple way if you don't if you're not able to split out of total hatred for this quality for this black stain On your being, that you are so self disgusted, and it's called mu'esb khayyab, that's the idiom that the Mithurabi uses. You are disgusted with yourself, and you actually hate yourself, is the only way to split from it altogether. Sometimes a person has to dress up into a rasha. In order to separate, it's also a very diff, uh, very deep teaching in Chassidut that the term hitlapshut, hitlapshut means dressing up in something. Is to manifest the the essential separation of he who is in cloth and the clothing that he's wearing. As for sometimes you put on clothing because you identify with the clothing the clothing fits you that's in general that a person clothes himself with something that fits fits means also that makes you look good in your own self-estimation sometimes clothing is in order to totally accept that you're not it at all That the clothing is the very opposite of yourself. And by putting yourself, by dressing up in those clothes, you are separating yourself from that altogether. That's the way, your way to separate yourself. I said this is a much deeper motivation. It's not exactly the opposite. It's just a much deeper, this is called separation. Separation that by playing a negative role you are separating yourself from that role it yeah, sounds like a paradox but now even uh, the higher the final the third stage of being able to play in life a negative role is sweetening sweetening is the again each one of to be the be the total opposite of the previous one everything which is evil even the very, very most evil thing or even the source of evil which is called the, the, the Satan, Satan so Chazal say, the sages teach that Satan that he, whatever he does, he does for the sake of heaven he has good intentions it's just that Satan down here on earth does it. he's not conscious of those good intentions only in his source, in the higher worlds that he has good intentions we know that the, the famous parable that is brought also in, in the Tanya from the Zohar Hakadosh, that the, the all of the seduction of this world of evil, that evil tries to seduce us, as Parashan created evil for, is the parable of the king that appointed a woman to try to seduce the prince, his son, and she, deep down, does what does not want to succeed. She has to try her hardest to seduce the sun because that's what she was commanded to do but her deepest, deepest intention is not that it's the opposite, that she does not succeed this is true of all evil that the very, very deepest again, it's the evil itself in our world is totally not conscious of, its, of itself but if a person is at a very, very high the highest level of consciousness such a level that he can only reach if he's gone through the first two stages as we said before if you seek to reach the third stage without going through the first two stages you cannot succeed it will backfire on you but after going through the first two stages a person can come to clothe himself in evil thereby revealing because he is conscious of the unconscious good intention of the evil and by playing that evil, by he, the good, playing that evil law, he can permeate the evil with, with bring it, reveal to it, its unconscious good intention. Thereby transforming and converting or sweetening the evil to become, in the words of the Baal Shem Tov, Hara that the evil becomes a throne for the good and that the evil elevates the good and this is the reason that we now always the end is wedged into the beginning that this world we say is a dramatic world and part of the drama of this world is that there is evil that the evil is what makes it interesting like a newspaper people are only into interesting things which have a lot of evil in it the problem is is that the that all of that evil which is so interesting is not conscious of what it's really where it's really coming from. There are many, many examples in in Tabala and the Torah in general, that a full spectrum array of concepts has to have at least one which has a bad connotation for instance, there are different words that all the permutations of the letters are meaningful roots in Hebrew. There are seven such examples in the whole Hebrew language of the Bible. In each one of these examples that all of the permutations of the letters are are roots, not just words, roots. So in each one, there is at least one, if not more, Of the most negative connotations, words. And it's explained that if the negative word, like even retak itself, murder, is one of them, that all of the permutations of murder are roots. That's one of the seven examples. And if this most negative thing is by itself, is isolated, it's just bad but if it's in if it's part of this play that the play has to have all of the parts by being a necessary part of a play for the sake of the good winning at the end so that evil was there just to augment and bring out the good like darkness is in order to augment the light, and when it's all together, then it all becomes necessary and whole and all good. It's just that the evil is the throne of the good. Well, so this is the ultimate consciousness of being able to play the evil part because it's once more way to the feeling. It's just like saying somebody this 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 is a great play, it's a very dramatic play and there's, it has to have an evil, somebody evil in it because otherwise it's not going to be dramatic it's not going to be anything it's not going to be worth anything somebody has to play that part so who should play that part the, the person that's most aware that the whole play the whole play depends on this part and this part itself knows at some level that I'm here to complete the absolute goodness of the whole I'm not to be taken as an isolated part So here the, that soul that's playing this part has to be such a general soul that that part is no longer a specific part it's what makes the whole play good and once more, he, that person is able to do that in, in, in life situations, will be able to permeate dark things and dark characters in general with their unconscious good intention. Thereby sweetening all of reality. It is called sweetening. And so these are the three stages of being able to play a negative part. And we said before, it's only for people that are of a high degree of consciousness. It's called Gatut mokhi, maturity. And if not, then it's better not to have a negative part at all. So, this ultimately now, when Mashiach comes, we'll see, like, the, we'll conclude with what the Rebbe used to say that even when he was himself a youth, he was mature. It says about the Baal Shemta that he was never a child. The Rebbe also. That doesn't, why was he never a child, it's good to be a child never be a child means that he was mature enough to realize that evil is for ultimately for, for a good purpose just he cried to Hashem and wished when will I be able to see it when will I be able to thank God for all of the evil and all of the hardship and all of the suffering of this world, but the will definitely is. The Rabbi said from the first moment that I became conscious of reality, which may at the age of three. So I asked Hashem, "When will I be able to see that the evil is good, the suffering is good, and then I'll be able to thank you for the suffering?" Hashem that's a person, it's like the Baal Shem here, the stories of the Rebbe, that is mature enough from the very very beginning of his uh, consciousness to recognize that there is a, there must be, since all is God and God is good, is absolutely good. So he was also there for a good reason. So as we said before, the evil doesn't know, unfortunately, the evil doesn't know it. So let's hope that Mashiach will come and we'll all be able to say and uh, we'll all be able to then then it says that actually when Mashiach comes then the the plays are not going to be so interesting
2: anymore. (laughs) (laughs) uh.
0: You have been listening to a lecture by Rabbi Yitzchak Ginzburg. Recorded and presented to you free of charge by Galiyai Institute. Your donation will help us to bring an ever-expanding selection of quality audio lectures by Rabbi Ginsburg. Night Institute is a non-profit organization, and all donations are tax-deductible in the USA. To donate, just click on the donate button on the Inner Dimension homepage at www.inner.org. www.i n n e r In Hebrew, Galiyai means Open my eyes. These words are from the verse in Psalms: Open my eyes, that may behold the wonders of Your Torah. Under the leadership of Rabbi Ginsburg, our goal is to open the world's eyes to the light of the inner dimension of Torah, to discover God, and to connect to Him in all that we do. As we learn from the Balshem Tov, spreading this light will hasten the complete and true redemption. We invite you to join the Gali Night team and participate with Rabbi Ginsburg in learning, teaching, and spreading the inner dimension of Torah. Kabbalah and Hasidut. Together, the Dalai team will change the world, bringing God's loving kindness, health, happiness, and true peace to all. For more information about Rabbi Yitzchak Ginsburg's teachings and how to participate with the Dalai Night team, visit the Inner Dimension website at www.inner.org, www.inner.org, or email us at inner at innerorg.